Let's uh, pray. Lord God, we've been uh, saying that we believe in God the Holy Spirit, so he gives us power from on high, and we pray that you'd give us power this evening to understand your word. Give me power to preach it clearly, even though I have a cold, and uh, give us power to listen to what it says and do it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Do please uh, take a seat. And if you've got that uh, reading that uh, Amy read for us earlier open in front of you, that would be a great uh, help to me. As I say, I do have a cold, so I apologize if this is rather unpleasant to listen to, but uh, there we go. Uh, I wonder if you've heard of a lady called uh, Corrie ten Boom. Some of you probably will have done, I imagine. Uh, Corrie ten Boom was a, a Dutch Christian lady who was arrested by the Nazis. Um, and she was sent to Ravensbrück uh, concentration camp. She assisted escaping Jews during the uh, Second World War. Uh, she had a, a, a terrible time, as you can imagine, in Ravensbrück. In fact, I think her sister died uh, in Ravensbrück, if I remember the, uh, the story rightly. But after the war, she had quite an extensive ministry writing and speaking about her experiences. Uh, and many, many times she was asked, how did you keep trusting God? In the middle of all that, how do you keep going? Basically, why are you still a Christian? Well, she would often reply uh, with this, uh, this, this, this phrase. She used to say, when a train goes into a tunnel, you don't throw away your ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the driver. <laughs> you don't jump off, you don't throw away your ticket, you sit still and you trust the driver. Well, I was reminded of that story, I heard that years ago, um, as I was preparing this passage this week. Um, if you were with us uh, last week, you'll uh, remember that we left the prophet Micah and the people of God in a very, very dark place indeed. Uh, collectively, they'd rejected God, they'd turned their back on him, and things were looking pretty, pretty grim. Micah said they had to face the consequences uh, of a God um, who would have justice uh, done to them. And as the passage uh, that we've got in front of us starts this evening, it's clear that, in fact, the things that Micah promised actually have happened. Things, if anything, have got even worse than they were last week. So I apologize if you were depressed last week. It's got worse, I can assure you. You can see that from verse 8, can't you? Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I've fallen, I will rise. Uh, what's happened is that they've been overrun and the Babylonians have taken control of them. They're, they're being occupied, basically, under uh, the Babylonians. And yet, despite that, despite the fact that it's, if anything, got worse from last week, Micah's words actually are full of hope and confidence. How can Micah be so confident in the midst of despair and darkness? Well, I want to suggest to you this evening that it's because... The same reason that Corrie ten Boom could be uh, full of hope and confidence in days of darkness. Because he knows, ultimately, who is in charge. Uh, who is in charge and who is guiding his life. And it seems to me that particularly in this uh, last uh, section of Micah, he's encouraged by three pictures of God that he can see. Uh, three pictures or three aspects of God's work and his character. And I just want to spend some time looking at them uh, in turn with us uh, this evening. And I hope they're an encouragement uh, to you, just as they were to Micah as well. Uh, what's the first picture that Micah sees? Uh, the first picture is that he sees that God is a light in the darkness. He is a light shining in the darkness. Uh, as I say, there's little doubt, as Micah looks forward, uh, he can see God's people in a very, very difficult place. Uh, verse 8. 
He says uh, that, that they've fallen. Uh, he says they sit in darkness. Uh, their enemies are gloating over them. Their, their, their enemies, they are just the, 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 the laughing stock of the nations. It doesn't really get much worse than that, really, I would have thought. And yet still, Micah doesn't despair, does he? In fact, actually, he warns the enemies of God and his people not to, not to, get, to gloat over them too quickly, not to, not to count their chickens uh, before they're hatched. He says, though I've fallen, I will rise once again. Uh, he goes on. Uh, those, uh, he says, though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Uh, light in the Bible is, is a kind of, uh, usually a symbol for God's presence with his people. And that's exactly what Micah looks forward to, this idea that God will be there. Even if they're in darkness, he will have the light of God's presence uh, with them, all the same. Well, what's caused this? Uh, if you were here last week, uh, you'll remember that Micah was frankly in, in complete despair. Uh, God's people were walking away from him, and there was no sign whatsoever that anything was going to change at all. Well, the turning point, I think, is verse 9. And we can see there, can't we? Micah speaking on behalf of the people of God. He says, because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. As I said, last week we saw God's people running completely away from God. They were shamelessly ignoring God and his commandments. But, but now there's been, a, there's been a, a complete turnaround, hasn't there? They can see what's gone wrong and how they've reached the situation that they find themselves in. Uh, it's because they've sinned against God. They've rejected him. They've turned against his ways. And they realize that actually they deserve all they're getting. This is entirely uh, deserved. Uh, Micah uses this kind of illustration. It's a bit like God's people are in the dock and they're facing uh, the, uh, the just punishment that their uh, infringements, their, their sins deserve. And unless God does something about it, unless God has, has mercy on them, then that's just what they're going to have to have to expect. The sentence will be carried out in full. And yet they are confident, aren't they? They're confident because they know they have a God who will plead their case, he will uphold their cause, uh, he will bring them out into light. They will see uh, his righteousness again. God will one day free his people. He will scatter the darkness from their path. He will scatter all those who mock uh, God and his people. Micah says that even those uh, who uh, denied God's very existence themselves will find that they cease to exist. Verse 10, their enemies will see it. They will be covered uh, with shame. They themselves will fall down. Well, I don't know if you have any experience of small children, but if you do, you'll know that small children have an astonishing capacity to lie. Um, even if they have um, kind of chocolate biscuit all over their faces and all over their hands, they will still deny vehemently that they've been anywhere near the chocolate biscuits. They just do it. They have this sort of, uh, you know, ability to lie that is extraordinary. Uh, and yet, we associate that with small children, but I do find myself wondering whether we as adults are an awful lot different. Uh, I meet so many people uh, who are always the victim. They're always the, it's never their fault, if I can put it like that. Uh, there's always something else that is responsible uh, for their mistakes or for their sins. Maybe it's uh, their parents who didn't bring them up properly. Uh, maybe it's their teachers, they went to a too strict school or not strict enough or something like that. Uh, maybe it's the government. 
Maybe it's Donald Trump. Maybe it's their genes. Who knows? Maybe it's um, the, uh, the, the, the weather. I don't know. It's easy to deflect responsibility. But just like Alcoholics Anonymous tell us, acceptance is the first step to freedom, isn't it? It's only when we accept that actually the problem lies with us, not with somebody else, but with us. It's only when we front up or fess up, as uh, somebody has put it, and admit that actually we're the problem. All of us have gone our own way. All of us have decided that we don't want to live for God. We want to live for ourselves. It's only when we reach that point that we can start to explore what the solution might be. We can find light in the darkness. And when we do so, like Micah, we can come knowing in confidence that in the Lord Jesus we have an advocate in heaven. An advocate is somebody who pleads the case of the guilty. And that's what we have in the Lord Jesus. He stands before the Father and pleads that he will accept us. Not on the basis of what we've done, of course, we don't really have anything to, to offer apart from the mess that we've got ourselves into. But it's solely on the uh, work that he has done on our behalf. Because he's dealt with the punishment that sin deserves. That's the first picture, a light in the darkness. Let's look at the second one. Uh, the second picture is a shepherd to his flock. A shepherd to his flock. I think the second picture would be one that would have been very, very familiar to uh, Micah's uh, listeners or to readers. It's not so familiar to us, of course. We, even in Norfolk, we don't quite live in quite such a rural society as the people of the Bible. But it's a very, very familiar one to, uh, to, to, to uh, Bible readers. God the shepherd of his people. Uh, time and time again, throughout the Bible, you see uh, the Bible using this picture of God as the shepherd of his people. It comes up a lot in the Psalms, doesn't it? That last song we sung is, of course, a setting of Psalm 23, probably the most uh, famous example. But Psalm 95, Psalm 100, uh, it's come up even in Micah already, hasn't it? If you've been with us over the last few weeks, uh, you'll have probably recognized this, this picture of God as the shepherd of his people. It's a very appropriate picture, though, as well, because actually the tasks of a shepherd uh, map on very well to the tasks of God. I think there are two particular things that Micah kind of singles out that he sees God the shepherd doing for his people. Uh, firstly, he says, or he prays really, that God would protect his people. Uh, verse 14, he says, shepherd your people with your staff. Uh, the shepherd's staff was his kind of main piece of kit, basically. It was a sort of um, a rod, which is all club, really. It was about this sort of length, I suppose. Had a big uh, kind of knobbly uh, head on it with some nails sticking out of it. And it was the way that the shepherd would beat off wolves or wild animals who would come and attack his, uh, his sheep. And that's the picture that, that Micah is, is summoning up here. It's of a loving shepherd, not, not somebody who runs away uh, when, the tough, when, the, when the things get tough, but who protects his, his flock, protects his sheep, wards off predators. You can only begin to wonder how encouraging that must have been for God's people to hear. Well, at the moment, they're being overrun by their enemies, it seems. And yet, still, Micah looks ahead. God is a God who protects his people. Uh, he won't let them be wiped out. Uh, he will uh, be with them. He will sustain them. It's what, of course, God has always done for his people. He's never uh, let them go. Uh, even uh, when they were in slavery in Egypt, back in uh, the book of Exodus, Still, God had mercy. He heard their cry. He remembered them and delivered them from slavery in Egypt. 
And even here, as once again God's people have got themselves into yet another fine mess, still Micah knows that God would protect them in his grace. Even though they don't deserve it, still he will protect them because that is the God that he is. Uh, That's one thing, protection. Uh, The second thing Micah prays for is God's provision. He prays that God would provide for his people. And that's the explanation of uh, the sort of second half of verse 14. It's slightly cryptic, isn't it? He talks about this, uh, this flock who live by itself in a forest in fertile pasture lands and let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days long ago. Basically, Micah is praying that God would provide for his people. Uh, back in the Old Testament, God made promises again and again to his people that he would look after them, he would lead them into a land flowing with milk and honey. He would lead them to a place of rest uh, where there would be uh, plenty for them to enjoy. And again, Micah looks back to that and prays that God would fulfill it just as he had done in the past, uh, just as he'd promised to. Well, as is so often the case when we pray to God, as St. Paul reminds us, he can do far more than all we are, exceedingly all more that we can ask or imagine. And that's exactly what he's done here uh, as well. Uh, God says, doesn't he? He answers in verse 15. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show my wonders. God promises that just as he's done in the past, so again, he will show things that the world will be astonished at. He will display his power and his might. And nobody will be left in any doubt at all who it is and for whose benefit uh, it is. And of course, as he does so, The world which has rejected him, the world which has forgotten all about him and tried to pretend that he doesn't exist, uh, that world will be forced to acknowledge his lordship in a humiliating climb down. Verse 16. He says, nations will see and be ashamed. They'll be deprived of all their power. They'll put their hands over their mouths. Their ears will become deaf. Uh, They will lick dust like a snake. He goes on, they will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. The nation will see what God is really like in all his power and his glory. Yes, some will turn in his grace to become part of his flock. Micah tells us that, doesn't he? He says, verse 11, uh, the day for building your walls will come, the day for extending your boundaries. The Hebrew words he uses there isn't really walls in the sense of city walls. It's more like uh, kind of walls for a sheepfold. It's that kind of idea that uh, the sheepfold will get bigger and bigger and there will be people who we would never imagine Uh, who would be in the sheepfold, who one day uh, will be there. Great promise for uh, Micah to to tell us. But there'll be that twofold reaction. There'll be some who uh, will be ashamed on that day, and there'll be others who are glad. Well, I wonder how Micah thought that his prayer was likely to be answered. We don't really know, do we? But actually, we can say that with the benefit of hindsight... God has answered it in a way that I'm sure exceeded how Micah would have imagined it. Uh, I was thinking it's a little bit like a a child, perhaps, who, when they're they're very, very small, uh, asks their parents for a mobile phone. It's sort of in the days of kind of Nokias, the huge Nokias. And the parents say, yeah, okay, when you get to 18, yeah, I'll give you a mobile phone. That's fine. By the time they get to 18, of course, uh, Nokias are on the way out, and it's all about smartphones. And instead of keeping their promise exactly as they had done, they don't give them a Nokia, They give them the latest iPhone or something like that. It's a bit like that. 
God does fulfill his promises, but actually they're better than Micah and his people could ever have imagined. And yes, like the answer in Sunday school, it's through Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd, isn't he? Uh, John chapter 10, he tells us, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He is the one who comes to gather in his flock and to lead them by name. Uh, Jesus is the one who speaks with authority. He's the one who gives his sheep food that endures unto eternal life, the bread of life, the living bread of heaven, which is himself, his body. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life on behalf of the sheep. He's not the hireling who runs away. He stays there, even to the point of dying on their behalf. He has performed wonders uh, that the world uh, will marvel at, uh, supremely in rising again three days later, having been crucified. He has defeated the last enemy, death itself, and scattered it from his people's path. And above all, he promises never to leave us or forsake us. Remember that promise that he gave us right at the very end of Matthew's gospel. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He promises to be with us until that great day when he will gather his flock together and uh, the lamb will be in the midst of the throne and be with his people uh, forever. That's the promise that the Bible looks forward to. What a gracious God. What a gracious God we have. A God who doesn't just answer his prayers and keep his promises, but actually goes better than that and blesses us abundantly. He protects his people. He provides for them. Uh, he promises that he will always be with us all uh, the days of our life. And I wonder if that's something that you know this evening. Maybe life is feeling difficult at the moment. So I know it is for a number of us here. Maybe it's feeling a bit difficult for us as a church family. Uh, we're praying for a, a new rector, and we're wondering where God is leading us. Does he still have a plan for us as his people? And Micah says, yes, he does. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. He never gives up on us. He protects us, and he provides for us. Uh, we are his sheep, the flock of his pasture. A light in the darkness, a shepherd of the flock. What's the last picture that Micah gives for us? Well, the last picture is this. He is a saviour from sin. A saviour from sin. Well, given that all that Micah has said about God, it's probably little surprise, is it, that he finds himself asking that question in verse 18. Who is a God like you? Who is a, a, a God like you? Who else among all the gods of the earth can possibly match this God the God of Israel? Well, of course, the answer is none. And the answer is none for a very, very, very specific reason. Micah tells us, there is no other God like our God, because actually there is no other God who can deal with the fundamental problem of uh, humanity. The greatest problem that any of us face, the problem of our sin. And he tells us, doesn't he, that even though God's people have consistently ignored him, even though they've rejected his rule again and again, still God is a God who pardons sin and forgives transgression. Uh, more literally, the, the Hebrew reads that it's God who lifts up sin from his people and passes over their transgressions. He lifts the burden of sin from the shoulders of his people 
and he lays it on the Lord Jesus. Remember the famous words of Isaiah 53, talking about, the, the, uh, about Jesus. The Lord has laid on him the sin or the iniquity of us all. Uh, he passes over uh, us in, uh, in, in his judgment. Uh, again, Mike is looking back to that great episode in the life of God's people, uh, the Exodus. He's already done that uh, this evening. Uh, that moment when uh, God's people scattered or sprinkled the blood of a lamb on the doorposts. And when the angel of death saw it, when the angel of the Lord uh, saw it, he passed over the people and spared them. Again, Micah uh, praises God that that's what he does. He passes over his people uh, when he comes in his judgment. And just as it was then for God's people, so Micah says it is today as well, because God's character never changes. He reminds us, verse 18, he says, um, he does not stay angry forever, but delights to show mercy. Uh, God is not a God who holds up a grudge. Uh, Some people are like that, aren't they? They nurse grudges, they nurse uh, bitterness deep in their hearts, they keep it warm, as it were. That's never like God. Uh, God doesn't nurse a grudge against his people. He doesn't bottle up his anger And at some point, he will just kind of uh, unleash it uh, when we least expect it. That's not what Micah says here. He doesn't stay angry forever. He delights to show mercy. It is his joy to show his grace to his people. Uh, He longs to show us totally undeserved loving kindness. We don't need to fear. We can draw near. We don't need to be afraid of God. Again, Micah goes on. He provides us with this wonderful picture, doesn't he, of God's grace. Verse 19, he says, uh, You again will have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Well, I don't know if you know this, but on the uh, day of the Jewish New Year, it's the tradition of Orthodox uh, Jews to go to the nearest stream or, or river and to kind of symbolically empty their pockets into the water whilst they recite those verses as a kind of visual reminder that God takes our sins and he uh, go out to sea and uh, he uh, remembers them no more. God doesn't just forgive, but he forgets as well. Doesn't just forgive, he forgets as well. He deals with our sin. He takes it, but he lifts the burden from our hearts as well. And he doesn't uh, hold it against us. He forgives and he forgets. Again, Micah says this is just all that he'd promised to the Old Testament heroes, verse 20, whether it was Abraham or uh, Jacob or anybody else. And again, no prizes for guessing. It's been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The Apostle Paul tells us that the Lord Jesus is our true Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. Because he died on the cross and his blood was shed, uh, uh, the Lord passes over uh, sin for those who put their trust in him. He's the one on whom our sins were laid. He's the one who promises us rest when we come to him. Remember those words uh, from Matthew 11. He says, uh, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he's talking about the burden of a people who know that they have fallen short of God's standards and are looking for rest in their souls. And he says, I am the person who gives it to you. Let me take your sin Let you have my easy yoke. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. His easy yoke of his grace and his forgiveness. Well, I wonder this evening if you know 
in your heart and in your life what Micah is talking about this evening. I think it's the deepest longing of the human heart. We might not think that it is. We might think that our deepest longing is to be rich or to have a relationship or to be famous or to be successful. But actually, deep down, the longing that all of us have in our hearts is we want to be forgiven. We want to know that the things that we've done wrong in our past and the things that we continue to do in the present will somehow be dealt with. I remember reading um, some, some years ago um, the transcript of an interview with a man called Kingsley Amis. Uh, Kingsley Amis was a uh, writer in the English language about sort of, I don't know, 50 or so years ago, something like that, uh, through to the, the, um, the, the end of the, the 20th century. And he was being interviewed on some kind of chat show. I think it was like Parkinson or something like that. Uh, and they were chatting away about his work and his life. And all of a sudden, he said, I- I've got nobody to forgive me. Who knows what he was thinking about? But he was one of the, uh, the nation's most successful writers. I mean, he was acclaimed by critics and the public alike. He was at the peak of his powers as a writer. And what was it that burdened him? The fact that he didn't have anybody to forgive him. That for all his success, uh, the, the failures and the mistakes that he'd made were still there, and they burdened him. But this is the good news that Kingsley Amos needed to hear, and that all of us need to hear as well, isn't it? It's good news. We have a saviour, a God who saves from sin. It isn't just good news for this evening, though, of course. It's not just good news uh, for a moment. It's good news, actually, for the rest of our lives. Because it's good news, because we know that not only does God forgive us, not only does he say that we're not guilty, he lifts the, the burden of being uh, condemned uh, from our, uh, our, our lives, but he also forgets. We, 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 need, we can trust that, that never again is he going to kind of bring up things that we've done in the past that we're ashamed of. And we don't need to either. That is rest, isn't it, for fretful hearts. I don't know about you, but I am so often one of those people who likes to go back over the past and ruminate over mistakes, words I've said, actions I've done, things I haven't done when I know that I should have done. And sometimes I'm tempted to wonder if God is like that as well. Micah says, no, he's not. He's forgotten it. He's dealt with it. It's done. It's in the past. Corrie Ten Boom said something else. She said, God casts our sins into the depths of the sea, And he puts up a sign saying, no fishing. (laughs) It's true. He says, no fishing. Don't come back. I I forget, and so can you. And it might be this evening as we close that you are aware, especially this evening, that you are carrying the burden of the need to be forgiven. Maybe uh, you're aware of particular sins that hang on your heart. You know that this joy that Micah speaks of is not a joy that you share, and you want it to be. Well, let me encourage you, don't walk out the door and let it be forgotten. Uh, Come and talk to me, come and talk with the person that you came with or somebody that you know. Uh, Put things right with God. Uh, Don't walk out uh, not knowing his forgiveness. It might be, though, that you're a Christian this evening and you do know this forgiveness, but actually, if you're honest, you are tempted to go back and ruminate over the past, to keep dredging things up that you know that you shouldn't do. Friends, be encouraged by these words. God forgives and he forgets. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul, uh, not looking back, but looking forward, straining ahead to what lies ahead. And that's always the way of the Christian life. It's not looking back, it's looking forward. God has dealt with the past 
and he has a good uh, future for us to look forward to. Again, pray, don't pray with someone. Pray with me, pray with the person uh, that you came with. This is the God that we have, a God who saves from sin, who delights to show mercy. Why not taste and see? The Lord is good. Who is a God like you? Here's the answer. A God who gives hope and despair, a God who's a light in the darkness, a God who is a shepherd to his wandering sheep, and a God who is above all a saviour who forgives us. Let's pray. Well, God, our Father, we thank you for this picture from the prophet Micah. Thank you that even in the darkest of places, you are a light in the darkness. Thank you that even though we, your sheep, are rebellious, even though we wander from your pathway, thank you that you never give up. We are your flock. And so much so that you laid down your life on our behalf. And Lord God, thank you above all that you are a God who forgives our sins. Thank you that you have dealt with our sins and we need not fear anymore. Thank you that you forgive and you forget. And we pray this evening that we would know those truths deep down in our hearts and live them out this week and forevermore. Amen. We're going to remain seated to continue in prayer, I think.